Well, hello, ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. Today, I have special guest Gary Mullins on the podcast. This is the second time he's been on the show. I interviewed him last year, I believe, after he had just competed at two different bodybuilding competitions. We talked about keto, we talked about nutrition, we talked about everything. This time, we talked about his reverse diet strategy coming out of those competitions, and we also talked deeply about training protocols, training manipulations, training techniques to really make sure that you're continually growing and building more mass. We also dove deep into mindset. Didn't really expect the conversation to go that way, but I'm glad it did because we covered all kinds of things and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the mindset topics. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Gary Mullins. You're live. Gary, how are you, man? Fantastic, man. How about you? I'm doing wonderfully well. Last time I had you on the podcast, we had just got done discussing your experience with the NACA competition. A lot has happened since then, though. Uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just trying to hit progress and reverse dieting and all that cool stuff that comes with uh, after a show. So that show was in October of 2019, right? Yes. Yes, and then I had uh, another show three weeks after that um, with the NPC um, mm-hmm. in November. And you did physique on that one, if I remember correctly. Yes. So I wanted. I think last time we recorded, it was right after you had finished doing that physique show. So I, I definitely wanted to t- touch on the, the reverse diet aspect of it because I feel like a lot of people are just confused by that. That doesn't get a lot of airtime because you know, the show itself is what's sexy and people want to hear about the competition, but... <laughs> They all just kind of throw the reverse at you know, on the wayside. But that's like one of the most challenging aspects of a competition, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the <laughs> after the um, NACA show, I had one day where I just you know, completely splurged and ate. And man, I mean, just from that one day, I added a crazy amount of weight, mm-hmm. noticeable weight, um, and and just kind of made it very obvious that I needed to be strict just as I was going into prep, you know, coming out and, and reverse dieting away. What, what do you think? I mean, cause when you were eating more after the next show, were you eating like keto foods or you eating a little bit of everything? Um, for the next show, the, the, the NPC show, I was uh, keto right up until uh, about two days before mm-hmm. um, I stayed strict, uh, did the carnivore, you know, the week before. And then, uh, for that one, I had carbs pre-show in order to fill out and uh, just kind of see what the differences were between the two pro- uh, different approaches. That's right. We talked about that quite a bit on the last one. Do, yeah. From a reverse diet standpoint and like a post-show rebound standpoint, did you find that there was much difference on like keeping it pretty clean keto versus having a bunch of carbs, um, you know, post-show reverse diet? Like what, what – I guess let's just dive into your protocol, man. Like, what kind of method did you use coming out of that second show to just make sure you didn't gain a ton of unnecessary body fat? Um, well, I found that coming out of that second show, um, you know, because the traditional bodybuilders that do the carb loading, they'll they'll load a bunch of carbs, cut water, um, and then you know go through the show, and then after that, when I started hitting the water, I swelled up like crazy like Mm -hmm. uh i I probably gained 10 pounds in two days from water weight Mm -hmm. um i felt awful honestly it felt like it felt like garbage the uh my back hurted where my old injuries my shoulder from where all the inflammation and extra water i was holding um my appetite was extremely hard to control uh come you know from where i did all that that carving up and the uh the lasting effects of of all that so um, the NACA definitely felt better, um, the, the full keto approach, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it was just basically willpower, uh, after, after the NPC show, it was just, you know, after I saw that, that gain in 10 pounds, um, I just started, you know, setting incremental increases in calories each week. Uh, it's where I, I got back to my maintenance and over, like I'm well over what my maintenance was prior. Have you been doing a pretty pretty keto approach with that that macro increase or have you been kind of incorporating a little bit of everything or what what's your your ratio has been looking like with the increase in calories 
Um, I usually keep, uh, I actually don't really, I couldn't tell you what the actual ratios are. I usually just keep protein at like a uh, one gram per pound of body weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, 25 grams net carbs per day. And then at fat is what I play with. So, um, I just stuck with that and then just slowly increased my fat intake. Um, at least during the first two weeks, I kept it pretty strict. And then I started bringing a little bit more uh, of the cyclical keto approach, but was really, really uh, like on the carb day at my last workout day after that, I, I would only do like 100, 150 grams of carbs. So it wasn't like insane. Um, I was able to get back into ketosis within like a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just kept increasing the fat. Um, I think keeping it pretty keto during the reverse diet is so, so key, man. Like I've, I've done reverse diets when I was, you know, before I was keto, I was just eating a bunch of carbs I've done reverse diets now, obviously that I am keto and it's like my, it's, it's hard regardless of the diet. Like there's no, you know, foolproof way to go about it. Like no matter what diet you're following, a reverse diet is going to be a mental drain for sure. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. feel like from a hormonal standpoint and just like my mindset towards food in general, I'm able to kind of pull in the reins much, much easier if I'm keeping it all clean quality food sources. For one, I don't feel near as guilty if I'm eating like a ribeye versus eating a bunch of ice cream. And then if you don't have that guilt associated with what you're consuming, you're not going to have like this this weird relationship that kind of spirals downward and then you have to like make up for it the next day. And I just didn't really have had that with the keto reverse diet because it's always coming from clean keto sources and even if I eat a little bit more in surplus, my body doesn't respond that negatively to it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, the The whole guilt aspect, like, oh man, I should have done this instead. But you know, I'll I'll carry that over into into tomorrow, and then tomorrow you're thinking about what happened yesterday, and it's just it does suck mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that was that's great about the keto approach of, of the reverse diet is the whole fact when you're in ketosis, you're your hunger is blunted in, you know, in general. So like when I'm in ketosis, there's days where I will go, um, you know, for the vast majority of the day and go, Oh crap, I need to somehow get in 120 grams of protein before the end of the day, because I haven't eaten all day because I haven't been hungry. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a lot easier to control the reverse diet. I feel if you do the strict keto. hundred percent, man. Do you know what your caloric intake is now relative to what it was before you started the prep initially? Uh, yeah, before I started the prep initially, I was at uh, maintenance for me would be about twenty six to twenty seven hundred calories a day, mm-hmm. and right now I'm eating around between three thousand and thirty two hundred per day. Beautiful, beautiful. So that's that's the beauty of doing it like this, like having a healthy, sustainable approach to bodybuilding and having legitimate building and cutting phases like if you if you dial things in properly and it's come from good quality sources you can almost you know without fail ramp up that caloric and metabolic baseline so that you're consuming more than you ever were at the onset yet your physique now is probably in a better standpoint than it was at the beginning so you have more calories to play with now and you're looking better have more lean muscle tissue and you're leaner than when you started the prep from the beginning yep and that's that's definitely the case. I told yeah, absolutely. I love it, man. I love it. See, this this is I don't know. I, I feel like I just want to shout this from the rooftops because there's so many people that they diet for far too long. They don't ever do a proper reverse diet, and mm-hmm. then they're just left constantly down regulating and down regulating their metabolism, and then they start losing muscle. But they want to compete year after year after year, and then inevitably they look worse and worse and worse every time they step on stage. And it just totally makes what is meant to be a healthy sport a very unhealthy sport. And then it gets a bad rap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like uh, NACA came up again this year, but they changed the date. I think it was in like uh, May or April or something like that. And mm-hmm. that was just too close for me. I didn't – I was like, that's that's too close. I need to finish recovering from my last prep. Um you know, from that hormonal standpoint and, and health, it just, it was too, too close together because that the prep definitely takes, takes a toll on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're like a natural athlete. I mean, I, I checked my testosterone before I started the prep and then again after, and it dropped by, I want to say 300 or 400 points, which is totally, I mean, that's pretty good. Honestly, most, most natural bodybuilders drop even more than that. I feel like having that fat, that fat ratio you know, pretty high throughout helped me keep it within that healthy window. 
but that's still a pretty good drop. I mean, it takes some time to recover from that. And, you know, people that compete every six months, they're never giving their body adequate time to recover, let alone build more lean mass. So it just becomes this vicious feedback uh, loop that, that keeps going worse and worse for them. So, I mean, for me personally, I'd take two, three, two or three years off in between shows, which is a long time, but I feel like every time I step on stage, there's a, a noticeable improvement. Yeah, especially after that long, I bet there is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's kind. Of, you get antsy though, man. Like you, you get the itch to step on stage again because you see your friends and your comrades jumping on stage yeah. and leaning out, and here you are, just <laughs> you know, kind of in that fluffy bulk stage. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I try to to stay fairly lean, you know, because I mean, the way I look at it is, if I can walk that line and do that very calculated lean bulk, it's less work to get, you know, stage ready. Mm-hmm. and and i just feel good it feels it feels nice i mean you fought hard to build all that and to, to try to get fairly lean i don't want to throw it all out the window um but of course you would need a surplus to optimally build um it's funny one of the questions i get most uh through messages are how do you stay so lean um and you know first i'll say well keto obviously because you're holding less water but um, I do a lot of uh, calorie cycling and diet breaks. Mm-hmm. So I'll do like, for instance, um, I'll stagger my calories while I might have like 32 to 3,500 one day and then 2,700 the next um, and just kind of play with that throughout the week until I'm, you know, with the average of daily average being a little around 3,000 to 3,200 for a, for a lean bulk. And then I'll do that for two or three weeks and then I'll cut maybe 400 calories across the board and do that again. Um, so that I, I go for, you know, about a week and I cut just a little bit down, uh, and then switch back. Um, and that just goes toward what you were talking about. People who do this, this extremely long cut, like people who are trying to get super, super lean and they just keep dropping calories and dropping calories and dropping calories and, and they get really lean, but they probably feel like garbage. And um, then as soon as they start to pick up that caloric intake again, they're going to gain it all back um, because their metabolism is just wrecked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, f- I feel with doing the, the diet breaks, you, you're not giving your body much of a chance to adapt either to the deficit um, and you're still gaining the, the calories you need for, uh, you know, for gaining. And uh, it just kind of keeps, I found it's, a, it's, it's just a great way to, to stay pretty lean and still make progress. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I used to to fall into the you know traditional dogmatic way of thinking of having to have a really crazy dirty bulk in order to put on any muscle, and I mean, I I would let myself just go in the off season. I would put on so much weight, and I would have just so much unnecessary body fat, and then inevitably my cardiovascular system tanks. I don't feel as good. I've got more inflammation, and then that starts hindering my ability to train with higher intensity and more frequency. So I, I wind up, you know, shooting myself in the foot from the ability to build more muscle. Um, plus, it just makes life less fun. Like I, I now stay within about 10 to 15 pounds tops of where I'm at, you know, come show day. And I feel like 10 to 15 pounds is a super healthy window. I mean, I, I could lean down relatively quickly if I wanted to, but I'm at enough of a surplus from a caloric standpoint that I can put on muscle without any problem. But there's no need or reason to ever go much beyond that like if you're putting on 50 pounds in the off season and having to cut down 50 pounds for show it's like it just becomes miserable yeah that that would be absolutely brutal to have to cut 50 pounds because <laughs> how how heavy were you pre-show and then what did you get down to for the show uh pre-show i was about 185 and then i got down to a 169 yeah so you're right there in that that 15 pound window Yep. Um, Brandon, I mean, he competed with you. I think he was right there pretty close to it as well. I think I lost, you know, 10, 12 pounds for this last prep that I did. And it just, I mean, your body looks better on stage because it looks like you didn't have to kill it to get down that low in the first place. Like if you have to lose 50 to 70 pounds, by the end of that, you're you're so, like you just look worn out. And then that's just obviously not a good look for the judges. Right, right, right. And and this year I should be, because um, I'm I'm probably going to compete again here in Nashville in November. Mm-hmm. Um, I should be a, about one seventy six ish, and I'm one ninety right now. So nice. 
are the are the shows i'm assuming they're going to be open i guess there's no way to know for sure but they're they're still saying that they're going to be open in november uh i believe so so far at least um we'll see <laughs> man you, you've been have you had access to a gym here lately i've seen you do a bunch of like home workout stuff on instagram so i'm assuming you're kind of rocking that that situation pretty good uh well i got back and actually our gyms opened up again about three weeks ago um mm-hmm. but i was doing the home gym like a bunch of bfr stuff just to try to keep you know to keep size um but when i got back in the gym my strength definitely uh, I, I kept the same amount of size but my strength went down it's just you know your whole central nervous system isn't used to that heavy weight at that point and i just had to kind of reteach it to to it and um I, that was about a month ago, actually, and it took me a number of weeks to, to build back up my strength to where I was. And I changed, changed training styles um, to doing this really heavy double rest pause, like single hard working set, low volume type work. And I've responded like incredibly well to it to where I've, I've, I've PR'd everything. And uh, I'll be going for a, a deload week here in a week. So, so let's dive in a little bit. What, what is that exactly? Um, it's, uh, one of the guys on Instagram, um, which one of the things I love about it, you know, people will send you information that you may not be aware of, you know, if you have an open mind and you're willing to research stuff, uh, he's, he told me about this style of training called dog crap training, D O G G C R A P P. And it's, um, very interesting way of training. It's, it's, uh, super heavy. You go for, um, a set that you can barely get nine reps on, um, you crank those out, take 15 deep breaths, crank as many more out as you can with good form, 15 more deep breaths, and then crank out as many as you can again. Um, and then if you can hit 15 reps total, next week you increase the weight. Um, the most brutal part about it, though, is after each of those double rest pause working sets, you might, you know, you might drop the weight a little bit, and then you do a static hold at a fully eccentric position, um, where you're trying to hold the weight still for a minute. And uh, you, sometimes you have to break it up into 20 and 30 seconds because it's brutal. You know, I won't be sweating during the actual working set, but then once that static hold comes, I'm just sweat's pouring. And uh, the, 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 the theory behind it is the, the guy who um, created that, that system, uh, it's, a, it's like a fascia stretching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to like stretch the muscle bellies where, while you're under load like that. And... Uh, Man, it's the first week I was the most sore I've ever been in probably the past three years. Uh, it was a good kind of sore. It wasn't like that. Oh, I worked too hard sore. It was a oh, this is this is a different <laughs> different kind of sore. So, like, let's like paint a visual here. If we're doing deadlifts, for instance, I'm doing three fifteen or deadlifts. I'll do one set of like five or six, take fifteen deep breaths, another set, and then repeat that for another set. So three sets total, fifteen reps in all. And then on that last set of 315, I'll hold it, you know, in that, that stretch position for as long as I can. Um, the, they don't recommend for like super, super heavy compounds like deadlifts or um, squats to really, you know, hold. Because, I mean, obviously you're spent at that point. Um, so a lot of times they'll, with more like say a T-bar row. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that to where you can you can safely hold it in that stretch position you're not having to rely on a bunch of other body parts so i'll usually do a bunch of you know a, a really heavy compound movement of some sort and then move on to that that style of training where i'm actually doing the, the stretches the static holds so yeah it, like for instance uh, in a t-bar row you you know knock out those reps um three different times and then you might drop the weight a little bit and then just lift the bar just barely off of its uh hold you know, mm-hmm. where it's just sitting and then you just hold it that stretch position as long as you can. Um, set it down if you have to. Give yourself about two or three seconds. Pick it back up again until you can do about 60 seconds of that. And uh, it's, it's definitely made a difference. Um, my, my strength has been going up, like, faster than it ever has. Are you doing that for multiple different exercises? Or are you picking one exercise per training day and then just doing that style of training with that exercise? Um, I'm doing that with every major every major group so i'll do that with uh, one shoulder movement um one pull down one you know, horizontal row uh i usually don't do flat benching at all so it'll be like an incline and a decline um and then triceps and yeah i do that with pretty much pretty much everything and then finish 
the workout with some DFR work. Uh, I found that my arms, for instance, <laughs> they grow really slow, especially being six foot tall. It's a lot, a lot hard to add size because you got really long arms. Mm -hmm. um, I basically work triceps and biceps every day. So I work out six days a week. Um, and I'm getting that heavy stimulus on a push day. My triceps are getting that heavy weight stimulus. So then I'll do some heavy uh, bicep work. And then I'll finish off the day with some like BF, BFR tricep work. So it's getting, you know, two different kinds of stimulus. And I'll reverse that on, on the pull day. I think you're lying to me about this whole your arms don't grow very fast deal because I saw a picture of you in 2017 versus now and your arms are like three times the size, man. <laughs> well, that, that, that's from doing this. That's why I, uh, it's been, I've finally found something that worked and I have to do like super high frequency in order to more to respond because they were, everything else was outgrowing my arms. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that though, because I do the same thing with my calves. My calves have just, I've just not been <laughs> blessed with good calves, but I get compliments on my calves all the time now. And it's because I train the hell out of them. I literally train calves every single day and I superset my calves with every single body part that I'm hitting, every single exercise that I'm doing. So like I'll do bicep curls, for instance, and then I'll do a superset with calf raises and I'll do triceps and calf raises and everything is, you know, paired wow. with calf raises so that I'm literally stimulating them every single day. And that's been the only thing that's gotten them to grow, but it's actually working, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, I love the science and the art behind, you know, bodybuilding in general. Like it takes, it takes so much, um, you have to have, you know, the discipline, the willpower, pain threshold, uh, mind muscle connection, um, you know, understand proper form and technique. And it's just, uh, it's just, there's so many different things to it that are challenging. And, uh, you know, sometimes for certain body parts, you just have to tweak it a little bit. And it's just, it's, it's that thing where you're basically the, the sculptor and the sculpture at, at the same time. And it's just, you have to embrace the slow, steady grind to get where you want to get. It's just, I've, I've just fallen in love with it. I first initially did it just to feel better and get over a chronic pain and stuff. And then I was like, man, this is, this is fun. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually enjoying this. And so I got deeper and deeper into it and learned more about it. And yeah, I just, uh, like, that's interesting. I, I've never tried, um, supersetting one body part with every other, uh, body part. And that, I don't know why it's never occurred to me before because volume is one of the, the main drivers of, of hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so is frequency. And that's why I do, uh, I do very high frequency work. I'll do like a full body push, full body pull, full body push, full body pull and do that again, you know, six days I'm doing that a week. Um, and you know, without the, the junk volumes, so many people do, I, I feel too much, uh, too much work um, to where they're they're just annihilating a muscle group, and then they are giving you know two or three four days to recover from that workout when they could just be hitting just enough volume to stimulate um, protein synthesis, uh, back off of it, hit it again in you know forty eight hours later. So you know they're hitting that group two to three times a week instead of only once, and uh, they're missing out on a lot of potential progress. Totally. And I feel like a lot of it is dependent too on where somebody's at in their, their lifting journey. Like muscle maturity is definitely a thing. And what worked really well for me during my first two years of lifting probably would not be effective at all for me now. I mean, used to, I would just do like the standard bro split of, you know, one mm. body part uh, a day and then do that one body part once a week. And then I'd do like, you know, six days of training. But, and I would, I would kill that one body part. It'd be a ton of intensity and ton of volume but then like you said there, there would be a whole week that elapses before i stimulate that muscle again whereas now what i've been doing that i've really really enjoyed is i'll have basically like a heavy hypertrophy split so i'll do like today for instance i did back and biceps with back being heavy and biceps being hypertrophy and then at some other point during this week i'll do another back and bicep day except i'll reverse that so that biceps will be heavy and back will be hypertrophy and I'm basically tackling that same muscle twice a week, but with a different varying type of stimulus, one being hypertrophy, one being heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> I'll probably get into more doing that, like alternating one week heavy and the next week, hypertrophy focused. Um, 
I just wanted to try this training for give it a good solid three weeks, see what would happen. And then next week I'm going to do high volume, um, like reverse pyramid style high volume, uh, and then do a deload after that. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, the science behind it. I love it. <laughs> How often do you typically schedule your deloads? Like every six weeks or so? Um, I do it by how I feel, uh, more or less. Um, if I'm working out and I start to where I, I notice I really am dreading going to the gym and it's almost, it almost feels intimidating. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, I'm like, okay, that's, that's a red flag. If my sleep starts to go, um, get bad or my, my appetite starts to decrease, that's another red flag. If two of those red flags ever match up in a week, I know the next week is a deload. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, uh, that's basically, I just do it, do it by how I, how I feel. I like that. I think it's a wise, wise move for sure. Since I had just gone through a prep and a reverse that I didn't do a, a deload. I haven't done a deload in like months. And I decided that after this reverse diet, uh, since I was going to be at a high enough caloric intake, I was going to go ahead and do an extended fast. So I paired my deload with a, a five and a half day fast. And I feel like that was really effective because I backed off on the intensity with everything being a deload, but I still trained every day throughout the fast, but I felt like a million bucks. I felt like my body recovered and all my inflammation diminished, and I just felt it was a really good time to focus on other things outside of training, like you know mental work, focus work, and not having the distraction of having to train, um, but yet still training enough to kind of provide some blood flow and stimulus. But that I think I'm going to start making that a staple. Like Whenever I do a deload, pair it with an extended fast. I I'll have to try that. I've I've rarely have ever tried an extended fast. I just think other people in general do not prioritize deloads enough. I used to not do them. Um, I was I'm sure I was I was overtrained at, at the time. Started to lose you know um, progress, and mm-hmm. that's that's another red flag. If I notice that my lifts, if all of a sudden one week I cannot get what I got the week before, that's that's another red flag. So. Um, deloads are amazing after without fail if, if i take a week uh, you know for my deloads i'll do basically what i did last week the same weight but i'll just cut the reps in half um and then when i come back off of that i smash my the prs i had set before from that one week of you know i come back and it's just you you're ready to get back you it totally changes your your attitude 100 percent. and i mean when you when you look at what you're doing with the deload and with your training I mean, it's all about how can you make this sustainable for, you know, indefinitely, basically. Like, the there's so many people that are trying to kill it in the short term and make as much progress as they possibly can within this very finite window, but then they burn out. And then at the end of the day, when the smoke sails and the dust clears, they're not really that much farther ahead than they were when they started. Whereas if you can figure out a way to just chip away at it every single day, day by day by day, that compounded over time, that's where the, the magic happens. And, and there's no magic to it. It's just simply the, the grind of it every single day. But you figure out a way to make it sustainable via the deloads, you know, the, the calorie cycling. And it's not even a grind because it is so sustainable, because it is enjoyable, and because it's not like beating you down mentally every single day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it just becomes habit in a way of, you know, a way of life in general. It doesn't, um, you know, I, I, I can understand why people who are new to lifting, they go in, they just want to see progress, progress, progress. And then I get a bunch of people who will message me and say, you know, I've, I've plateaued. And my very first question is always, when was your last deload? And without fail, they always say, I have, I've never done a deload. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, do a deload. <laughs> That's you'll come back a week later and you, you will kill it. And um, yeah, it's just, it's that, that you, once you hit a peak, you give yourself time to recover, start that grind back uphill again. And so many people will, just keep trying to grind away at it to where they're actually, you know, overtraining themselves and they're, then they, their lifts go down, they get discouraged and they just stop because mm-hmm. they're like, well, crap, I, I guess I can't do this. No, no, you, they're just not approaching it smartly. <laughs> totally agree, man. I enjoy talking with you because we're, we're speaking the same language here. I mean, we're both, you know, competitive athletes that step on stage and actually make this into a lifestyle. Do, do you feel like the ketogenic diet is starting to, become more known and accepted and leveraged within the bodybuilding circles or do you feel like it's still just eons behind everything else uh i don't feel it is enough um whenever 
I'm at the gym and I, I run into other guys who are obviously competitors, you know, they'll stop and chat with me and um, they'll be like, Hey man, you're looking good. I'm like, well, keto, keto rocks. And they're like, Oh, you do keto. And I'm like, yep. Uh, and they're like, why are you prepping for something? I said, no, I do. Keto, I do keto like all year. And uh, they'll be like, wow, that's, that is, that's hard to do. And I, you know, I, my response is only at first, once you make a lifestyle out of it and, and you build habits around that, it's not hard at all. Um, so I wish more people did, but there's still, you know, people just, I, I, I don't know what the stigma is with a lot of people who do bodybuilding. Um, that's one of the reasons why I like, I like to show progress in my stories, you know, constantly hitting PRs. Like you can do this with keto and you can feel great and improve your health, you know, all at the same time. Yeah. See, that's, I don't know. I don't know why the stigma is there either. I think it's just so ingrained right. in our way of thinking because that's just what we've been heard our entire bodybuilding lives. And like when you first got into lifting, depending on how old you are, like for me, I would watch these, you know, YouTube videos of these famous bodybuilders in the 90s or I would go to the grocery store and go to the, the magazine aisle and there'd be all these Flex magazine covers and you flip to their nutrition plan and it's all like six, seven meals a day, chicken, rice, broccoli. You got to have those carbs to have the energy to build the muscle. And that is just so counter to what my nutrition looks like now that when I try and share my nutrition now, it's like people just don't think it's possible. And it's, it's frustrating because I've been doing this nonstop for so many years. I've done so many preps now with the strict keto protocol. It's like I've shown people what's possible, but it's like they don't want to believe it. And it's just <laughs> exhausting. I don't get it. Like, what do you have to do to make people believe? Well, let's see. In, in my case, it was very different. I didn't have any um, knowledge as far as bodybuilding when I first started. I was just trying to like, you know, trying to get away from back pain and um, uh, get off medications that I was using for to ma maintain back pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I ran across keto and did all my research about it for a month straight and then just dove in head first. And it wasn't until after I had been strict keto for about a month or two that I think I somehow stumbled across one of your posts. I think it might've been in one in a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And, um, this was about, about four years ago. Um, and I think you were prepping for a show or had just done a show one, or I think you might've just got your pro card and, uh, you were the, that spark for me where I was like, Hey, this guy did it with keto. I'm doing the right thing. Let's go. And, uh, yeah, so four years ago, dude, you, whether, you, whether you know it or not, you influenced me to take to stick with the path that, that I started with. I appreciate that, man. That really means the world. Like, I, I hear feedback like that from a few people, and it's like, you know, if, if just one person knows in their heart of hearts that they can do this and succeed with it, then my job is, has been successful, um, you know, by putting out the content. But it's, it's frustrating for me because I feel like so many people – view bodybuilding or view keto or view anything they're they're passionate about in life as like this you know massive give and take in which they can do this one thing but they have to really sacrifice this other area of their life they do that and it's frustrating because that doesn't have to be the case like I feel like you can accomplish everything you want to do and excel in what you want to do if you have some degree of discipline and just you know get it doneness about you and I feel like strict ketogenic diet and just keto in general eating quality nutrient dense foods and training your ass off is the perfect recipe to accomplish just that and you don't have to sacrifice anything you have to sacrifice everything in the sense of you can't just be you know lazy and, and do nothing with your life but you can have all of these things it just requires consistency and then you know you, you get that ingrained in you and the sky's the limit yeah i mean absolutely that's it's you know, it's that it's a mindset you have to look at as like you're not sacrificing anything. Um, you know, you, you just have to change your habits. Like uh, one of the first things when I tell someone that I, I follow a keto diet, they're like, oh, man, I could I could never get, give up sweets and bread. And I come back immediately with, well, you don't have to. You just have to approach them differently by using, you know, low glycemic type sweeteners Um you know, like uh, stevia or erythritol or something like that, or um, and nut like nut breads. You just have to cook for yourself. So you know you're winning two ways. You're you're uh, making your own food, so you know it's it's whole and it doesn't have any crap in it, uh, preservatives or whatnot. And 
um, then you're also approaching it from like a, a high fat, low carb. So it's, you know, I, I just try to tell people it's, it's just habit. You just have to change the way you're doing things. You don't have to change what you like. You just yeah. have to change how you're providing it. Totally. I mean, there's literally an alternative or a substitute for every single thing out there. You may have to yes. put in a little bit more legwork, maybe do a little bit more prep work, but I would rather do a little bit more prep work and know that I'm still in line with my goals than, you know, sacrifice and sidestep those just to have that momentary, you know, simplicity of like a prepackaged, like a normal piece of bread. Like that, that to me is not a fair or worthwhile trade off. And I'm just blown away by people's lack of resolve to put in the the little bit of extra effort to, to stay in line with what they believe in. Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it is frustrating. You know, you'll see people who are, um, they are, they, they complain about how awful they feel or that they are having trouble losing weight and they wish they could lose weight. But then, you know, they're saying that as they're eating this big greasy Big Mac or something like that. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, you just want, you just want to point point them and go, that's it right there. That's the problem. And, but it's hard to do that without offending people, you know, to uh, making them feel defensive about what they're, what they're doing. So, I mean, the only thing I, I just try to lead by example and let people come to me with questions. Um, you know, I, I used to shout keto from the rooftops my first year that I was strict and, uh, which I think a lot of people do. Um, they, they realize how awesome it is and the results you can get from it. And they just want, to share that with others, but sometimes it comes across as, you know, you're, you're trying to force it on them, which makes people back away, you know? So I just try to, I let them come to me. Yeah. You got it definitely by example. Um, I don't know that man, like it's, 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 it's discouraging to see people so quick to like point at something else. Like I think one of the big cop outs that that's become overly popular right now is that people say they're sacrificing these experiences. You know, life's too short to not be able to enjoy a certain meal with your loved ones. And my argument is simply, if your relationship with your loved ones is truly that dependent on the type of food you're putting in your mouth, then it's a pretty crappy relationship in the first place. Yep, yep. <laughs> but I get in trouble if I say that. You know, people don't like to hear that. They don't like me to tell them, hey, look, you're just weak. I'm sorry, but... That's just the fact that matters. Like relationships are more important than the type of food in front of you on the plate. So recognize that fact and then get back to actually living. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, grand given change is hard, but it is worth it. You know, that's just, it's hard to, you know, people aren't going to do it until they're either backed in a corner and they feel they have to do it or they're inspired in some way. Um, and unfortunately that that's the case. And, People get set in their ways. And they think, well, maybe I'll just bust out a little cardio and uh, move a little bit more. I mean, and, and that will work, but to an extent, but I don't think they're really improving their health as much uh, versus going with whole food and, um, you know, a, a ketogenic approach. There's so many other benefits to, to keto aside from, you know, fat loss. So it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it is extremely, extremely frustrating. It is, it is. But I don't know, I I feel like you and I both being bodybuilders, like we're drawn, like if you're if you're a bodybuilder, you're, you're kind of crazy in the first place. Like you're drawn to these things that are difficult. Like you like doing things that most people don't like doing. I mean, if you willingly get up and work out and, you know, stick to a very regimented meal plan and you, you step on stage, you diet down, all this stuff, like you're drawn to doing things that are not what society deems as fun and I look at what I've learned with bodybuilding and just the consistency and the discipline that that entails and I've been able to like transcend the sport of bodybuilding itself and apply it to my business and been able to grow a business but also like my nutrition like I like the fact that being strict, strict keto you know indefinitely is a certain degree of a challenge like people people stray away from challenges. I look at them and I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to be the last man standing with this. And I feel like that's a, a good bullheaded, stubborn trait to have, but I feel like it's always done very well for me in the past. So I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the funny thing is that's how I get a, do a lot of my progress um, with lifting. I am an old school computer geek. I've been gaming since there was, um, 
you know, the Atari, uh, I, I still game to this day, video games. Um, but I used to do that like constantly. That was what I spent all my time doing was video game every spare moment I had. And when I started working out and, and lifting, I sort of applied that same mentality of challenges and progress and basically like high scores I looked at it as. Um, so every week I'm just trying to do better than I did the week before, get a better high score, so to speak on a lift. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's what drives me. I've, I've made a, I've made a game out of it. I'm, I'm trying to beat who I was the week prior. Um, and then, you know, just, just keep that going. And I think if people were to look at it like that, they would look at it like a game or a challenge where they're, you know, it's them, them against themselves that, you know, if they could just get that mindset that they would be able to find a little more enjoyment in it. And even if, even if it's not lifting, even if it's physical, um, running or, you know, um, uh, I would say CrossFit, but I'm not a big fan of CrossFit, but, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, any, anything physical, um, just try to get better at it. And, uh, with that effort, you're going to see results. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree, man. And it's like this, this time right now that we're living in, you know, with this whole virus, the shutdown, the gyms closing, all the chaos that that involves, I feel like this is just a perfect testing ground for people to figure out what they're made of you know like there's so many people that are are leveraging all of this as an excuse to not push and you know I, I feel very fortunate because i've got like my gym for instance you know here at the compound so my training hasn't been affected in the slightest but there's a lot of other challenges that come with it you know in my regard like the the business keeping that up and running when everything else is not really in in ideal situations for businesses to grow right now but like people they're taking this this chaos and they're letting it define who they are and what they're capable of doing in a day. And I feel like no matter what's going on in the world right now, no matter what challenges you're faced with, you are the one in control of how you wake up and live that day. And I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to you know, overcome the odds. And I feel like a lot of people are swaying away from what's difficult, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, you know, be the master of your own destiny. Basically it's people want to sit back and play a victim when they could be playing the victor and trying to find a way to get through whatever the difficulty might be. Like way back in high school, I, like I've always had that mentality. I, I memorized this poem, um, Invictus, mm -hmm. uh, the, where the last lines are, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Um, and that's, you know, I could, I can recite that whole thing from memory and it's, uh, it's always been like one of my sources of inspiration and that's the way I kind of look at everything. And I have a hard time understanding people who don't because they must live very unhappy lives. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. Your, your Instagram bio says that you are the father of an artistic child. Is that correct? Yeah, I have two two little ones. I have a, uh, a nine-year-old daughter who is moderately autistic and nonverbal. And then I have a, a six-year-old son who is very high-functioning, um, but still on, on the spectrum. He's, he's like a, considered Asperger's, basically. So one of my clients has uh, several children that are special needs as well. And, you know, I was talking to him right when all this stuff started going down with like the, the chaos of the, you know, political stuff, the, the racial rioting, the, the virus, like just the whole world upside down. And it seemed like everybody was just playing the victim card. Everybody was complaining. Everybody was negative. And I feel like so much of that can be avoided with a better degree of perspective. And then I asked him, I'm like, you know, you being the father of several kids with special needs, like it must just tear you up and tear you up to see people so negative that have so much from the onset. Like they have their health, they have their well-being, they have the ability to function in society. Like somebody, like like, like a child who is totally innocent and born with these special needs does not have. Like they do not have that at the onset. So for me, like I, I don't have any kids, I don't have that perspective that you do, but I can only imagine you have become so much stronger throughout all of this 
because of your kids and just having that perspective that having the being the father to them would provide. Yeah. Um, when you have kids who are autistic, it's very much, you have to shift your expectations. You know, you have to, there, there is no more uh, standard by which you go by. It's you are setting new standards and you're having to adapt to this particular person. Like our daughter is extremely smart and artistically talented. Uh, you know, she can make stuff out of Play-Doh and, and, raw materials and do stuff way more creative than I have ever been able to do. But, you know, it's, it's being able to talk to her is just doesn't, you know, if any word she says is like a gift. And, mm -hmm. um, I see people who, um, they, you know, their kids are talking to them and they don't give them the time of day. And I just look at it. That, I, I'm like, you have no idea what you have, what gift you have having a kid that can sit here and have a conversation with you and, and interact with you. Um, you know, that's, that's something we're working toward. And uh, a lot of people just take that for granted. Yeah. That's, it's sad, man. Like it's, um, people take so much for granted. I'm, I'm, we're all guilty of it. I take things for granted. Like there's mornings when I wake up and I'm just, I don't know, automatically in the, in a bad mood for something, but then I like go outside and the sun's still shining and there's still beauty. And, like if you just if you just put forth a little bit of effort, you can recognize that and then take stock in it and smile and not have this, you know, need to just throw negativity out there. But like, I don't know, man. I I'm really on a reflective perspective, you know, high right now and just really trying to appreciate every every single thing that we're blessed with in life, the people, the relationships. I mean, right now in the keto space, for instance. You know, there hadn't been these conferences. All the conferences have been canceled. And I feel like a lot of us, you know, yearn for those conferences because we get to see people face to face. We get to train with people that we've talked about on Instagram through DMs. But like nothing beats that face to face camaraderie. And, you know, we take that for granted. But like that's why I love podcasting, man. Like just sitting here and being able to have a conversation with you about, you know, deep life topics like your kids and the perspective that brings you. Like I feel like this is just so valuable man like life is so short and so simple and so beautiful and we just need to do everything that we can in our power to make the most of that because it's not gonna last forever like you're you're gonna die uh, yeah yeah i i definitely used to fall in that category of taking things for granted um but after you know the chronic pain and trouble i was having and then after having to deal with you know having kids who are special needs um, I've definitely learned I take absolutely nothing for granted every every day I wake up and I'm just I'm happy to have any kind of interaction with with our kids um, I every day appreciate the fact that I'm not constantly in pain and that I found uh, keto as a, as a lifestyle um, yeah I, I take that I have a job that I'm able to work from from home um, I, I, yeah, I take absolutely nothing for granted. Um, but I got there through, um, going through a lot of hard stuff. So I, I, maybe that's what it takes for some people to finally get to that point where they really appreciate even the things that they might've previously thought of as mediocre or, um, you know, that's just how it is. Well, it could be a lot worse. <laughs> totally, man. And I feel like having periods of time where you remove those things, from your life and then reintroduce them so that you you gain a, a newfound appreciation for them is key like as weird as it may sound like when i went that when i did that five and a half day fast you know like that that cup of coffee afterwards with a little bit of heavy cream in there like that that was the best cup of coffee i've ever had <laughs> you know like but in the <laughs> like if i hadn't never done that fast it's like you, you just don't think that way and the same is true with like your kids and the ability to train, like people that have had the gyms closed down and can't train, hopefully when the gyms open back up and they're able to get that crazy sick pump again, they don't take that for granted. Like all the things that we have in life, the people, the relationships, that is what matters. And I hope truly and dearly that this pandemic and this virus and this total shitstorm of the past couple months has enabled us to recognize that life is precious the relationships in life are precious and that 
that's all that matters. That's that's it. That's the only thing that matters. Yeah, um, it's funny you say about the gym. That was that was one of the things that I realized I was taking for granted for the longest time because when they shut down, I was like, oh my god, what? this absolutely this absolutely sucks. This has become my life now, and um, I like I don't feel right if I don't get in my workout and try and continue my progress. I feel like I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, once I got back in the gym, I was I was so happy and appreciated the fact that I was even even able to get back. So I will never um, <laughs> I will never take that for granted again. I mean, even in seeing the people there that I may not talk to a lot because I'm usually got headphones in, I've got my head down, I'm just doing my thing. I'm not there to, to socialize. Um, but still, you know, people will give you that nod as you walk by, like, hey, what's up? Like, you know, that just that camaraderie of seeing other people there who are trying to put in the work. Um, it's it's that that atmosphere like crazy. Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. Well, I honestly had no idea where this conversation was going to go. Like, we didn't really do any prep work for this podcast, but we dove deep into some mindset stuff, man. I love that. <laughs> so, real quick. What are you working on now besides the prep in November? Like, is there anything else looming? Any big projects on hand? Um, well, I've for the longest time I've had a, a, like a website up uh, that I, I've just kind of neglected because I, I, I do my own design work. Uh, like, a, I'm a professional geek, like I've said, um, and I'm actually going to start putting together a series of uh, articles and content to kind of help people um, when it comes to like training. Uh, supplementation, uh, nutrition, just in general, the things that I've found over the course of, you know, over four years that I've learned and I'm just kind of kind of distill it down into articles and share that with people so they're able to, you know, read it and think about it and hopefully give it a shot and improve their lives. And is that live now? Like, could we go there now or is it still under construction? Oh, the website's live, but there's, it's bare. The only thing that's there are like some like t-shirts that I've sold there, like uh, that I have up there for like um, uh, keto oriented type stuff. Uh, and it's at uh, ketoing.com. So nice. um, yeah, I just have to start adding content to it. So that's, that's the next, next plan. All right, man. Well, it's, it's, it's on, on air now. It's, it's live. Everybody knows they're going to hold you accountable to it. I'm going to, check on that website in another six months it. <laughs> it, look, it better look totally different than it does now <laughs> that's great I, I need that see that's uh that's great now and now i have to do it <laughs> you got to you got to well cool man i'm always excited to talk with you gary keep posting all the stuff you're doing on instagram because i feel like it's definitely inspirational it's cool for me and refreshing for me to see somebody that's also keto building muscle and competing as a bodybuilder that i don't know it gives me Gives me hope and lets me know that there's there's a, a demographic that actually wants to pursue that as a healthy, sustainable outlet for true long term health and longevity. So keep keep pushing that message, man. Hey, you bet. All right, brother. We'll keep in touch and I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Sounds good. Take it easy. Take care. <laughs>